Good morning. If you're visiting with us, we're in the midst of a series about the kingdom family and what does that look like. Now, I have to admit that I have somewhat of a conflict over this day that we call Mother's Day. I think it's better if we honor our mothers 24-7, 365 days a year. <laughs> Got an amen there. Later on, she might not be amen though. In a culture where we systematically violate what a woman should be, I have a difficulty with this day. You can talk about abortion. You can talk about aversion success. You can talk even about a tax system that is not pro-mom. We have a very skewed image of what a mom is, what a woman is. And this distortion I'd like to dress this morning. And I want to talk about what a kingdom woman looks like. Now, most of the context of this message you're going to see really applies to everybody. And when we talk about the home, it really has a broader application. So just don't check out if you're not a woman, okay? That's all I'm saying. One day, parents of a young woman received this letter while she was in college. Here's what it said. Dear mom and dad, I have so much to tell you. Because of a fire in my dorm room set off by some students rioting, I experienced temporary lung damage and had to go to the hospital. While I was there, I fell in love with an orderly and we moved in together. I dropped out of school when I found out I was pregnant. And he got fired from his job because of his drinking problem. So we're going to move to Alaska where we might get married after the birth of the baby. Signs, your loving daughter. Then there was a PS. None of that really happened. But I did flunk my chemistry class and I wanted you to keep it in perspective. We have a perspective problem when it comes to women. And as I've been saying all along, when you lose purpose, you lose perspective. The first week we talked about Genesis 1 and 2, that we are image bearers, that we're called to expand God's kingdom. And one of those ways is through marriage and family. We know that marriage is a covenant. And inside that covenant, there's structure, there are roles. And if we desire God's maximum input, then we have to operate according to that structure. So the first question we have to ask ourselves, and this is one both men and women have to ask, I'll repeat it again next week for men, am I out of alignment? Now our culture, doesn't matter if you look at the media, whether you look at all the idols that we have projected into ourselves, If you look at the political environment, our culture elevates a picture of women that are out of alignment. And they are attempting to convince us that there is no difference between men and women, that they are fully interchangeable. Some have dubbed that the feminization of America, where they're attempting to get women to act like men and men to act like women. That's a disaster. Now, in reaction to that... 
Here's what some Christians do. They put women in some servient role to men. And they are supposed to do whatever men tell them, and there's no place for women outside of the home. I mean, that's a reaction to this over here, and both are equally wrong. Now, I want to say up front that what I'm about to say, I should say what Scripture is about to say, has nothing to do with equality, value, or superiority. It has nothing to do with spiritual gifts and talents. According to Scripture, the baseline is that women are equal in being, equal in value, equal in worth, equal in gifts, equal in talents. But her function is different. Her role is different. And as Satan tried to flip that role in Genesis 3, and a consequence, there was chaos brought into the garden, and there was this power struggle between men and women. Our culture attempts to flip her function. And what they do then is they confuse it with equality, value, and worth. So if you disagree with them, then you're saying, oh, you're just trying to push women down, and that's not true. The critical problem of our day is that women are out of alignment. They believe the lies of our culture that tell you you ought to be someone that you're not. And what the result is, there's a lot of unhappy women living in chaos. Now, here's my underlying assumption. God knows what he is doing. Amen? Okay. That's the underlying assumption. God knows what he is doing. So kingdom thinking is not cultural thinking. And we all have a choice. I ran across a blog this past week. Actually, it was about three months ago, and I saved it. Here's the title. Listen to this. Marriage doesn't work if you're a narcissist. You know, a narcissist is an extremely selfish, inward-drawn person. And if you don't know, in America, we have a narcissistic epidemic. I mean, secular writers are writing about how self-absorbed we are. You know, we sang a song this morning about the heart of worship. If you know the background of that song, the pastor of that church did a very brave thing. They had one of the premier worship leaders of their day. And the pastor stood up one day and said, you know what? We turned idol into, we turned worship into an idol. It's so much about our preference. It's so much about our performance. I'm calling the music end off for a year. And they did that. Imagine that. Then through that year as they prayed together instead of singing together and doing all that idol worship thing, out of that came that song at the very end. And know what Matt Redman wrote? It's all about you, Lord. It's all about you. See, marriage doesn't work if it's all about us. When we put ourselves at the center and not God, love can be taken, blocked, and destroyed. And literally anything can be a reason why my marriage doesn't work. Another book called Culture of Complaint, the thesis is this, that we live in a society where people perceive themselves to be entitled to have all desires fulfilled. They believe it's a birthright. And they accord themselves the victim status when their desires are not met. Now, the 
predominant emotion that goes along with this mentality is disappointment. And so all across America, you hear women saying things like this, my husband doesn't meet all my emotional, physical, and spiritual needs. And you can add whatever kind of need you want in there. A lot of times it's finances. A lot of times it has to do with houses and homes and everything else. And what then they find themselves doing is growing very resentful. And they become preoccupied with their own lack of happiness. And they start complaining, saying, you know, I really deserve to be happy. At a story... Well, actually, it happened to me. I'm sitting in my office one day, not here at GBC. It's about 12 years ago. Woman comes through my door, and she's all smiles. She goes, Pastor, she goes, God has made me so happy. I have such a wonderful man. I am so happy. And I looked at her and said, well, you know, that is really great to see someone after all the years of marriage to come in and say that their husband's wonderful and they're happy. And she looked at me all of a sudden and says, well, I'm not talking about my husband. And I looked at her and says, well, we need to. And before I got the words out, she broke out into tears and says, you don't understand. You don't care about me and stormed out of the office. And that week I got at least a dozen calls from women talking about how mean I was to this lady. And I says, did you talk to her about why she was upset? And, of course, they didn't. And when they found out, they came back and says, well, you could have been more sensitive. I'm like, I don't know how to deal with this one. Now, the interesting thing is, that, yeah, she left her husband, and she's not any longer with that man who made her happy. But if you would run into her, she works at a local grocery store, and you mention my name, you will hear some things you don't want to hear. (laughs) See, we think somehow if happiness is the goal, we are masters of our own illusion. See, what happens then is we actually start thinking, well, And we never say this, but this is how we live. If God really wants me to be happy, then why doesn't he give me everything I want? Now, we don't actually say that. And when I speak it out loud, we say, wow, that's kind of bad because any parent knows that if you want to raise an ungrateful child, what do you do? You give them everything they want. You know, back to one of the early sermons I preached I spoke about living a life of gratitude. And in marriage, we have to learn to be grateful for imperfect gifts. You know what the imperfect gift is? It's each other. Because we are all sinners. Now, I could have chosen many different texts to talk about this this morning. I toyed with doing 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But with Dr. Kime in the audience, I figure he can deal with the headship and the angels and all those kinds of things better. So if you read that and want an answer, go to Dr. Kime, okay? I'll let him handle the complexities of that and head coverings and everything else. By the way, if you didn't hear, uh, Dr. Kime received the Distinguished Professor Award from LBC this past year. Yeah. Congratulations. So that really means he can really tell you what that text means, okay? So if you want the answers, go to him. Um, Could have done Ephesians, and we're going to go there in a moment just for one verse. But I I chose 1 Peter chapter 3. And you can turn there in your scripture, 1 Peter chapter 3. And we're going to look at the first seven verses. 
Because this brings out something that I think is absolutely critical today in our culture. And you'll see what I mean as we get into it. Let's begin in verse 1. Likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands. Now, the critical word there is subject. In verse 7, we see a word again, submitting. They're the same words. It's the same words we see back in the book of Ephesians. It means to put yourself under. When I say that, women are starting to get heated. It means to honor, to obey. It means to honor his position. Now, next week, we're going to look at what that position is. Remember, Peter's saying this, okay? Not Pastor Greg. So, before I get some emails about, I'm not going to submit because... Remember, Peter's saying this. Now, we don't like this word for two key reasons. One is because the abuse it's caused. Men abuse this to dominate, to devalue, to power over, my way or the highway. They've used that in Genesis 3 version, not Genesis 1 and 2 version. They lost the purpose. And because they lost the purpose, their perspective is distorted. So that's one of the reasons why we don't like this word. The other reason we like the word is because of Genesis 3. It's the result of the fall. And what women have to understand is that in their sin nature, they're going to sit there and say, I'm not going to submit. I don't have to submit. I will not submit. I've actually had couples come to me and say, now, when we get to the wedding day and we do all this kind of, you know, your little meditation, I don't want you to talk about submitting. Don't use that word. And, of course, sitting in my office, the man sits there with some dumb smile on his face. And I'm thinking, man, you're already in a Genesis 3 henpecked relationship, and you're clueless. Perspective's lost. This word, subject, submitting, however you want to define it, it is a good word. It's part of God's design. Remember what I said? God knows what he is doing. Now, keep your finger in 1 Peter 3 and just flip over quickly to Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to point something out very quickly. Often we fail to look at the context of Ephesians 5. We just kind of of go right down to the man and the women and talk about what it says there. But if you back up a few verses, the context is that we are called to be filled with God's spirit. Not filled with our spirit, but filled with God's spirit. And then in verse 21, he says, submitting one to another out of reverence for Christ. So understand the context when he talks about husband-wife relationships. It is, first of all, we allow God's spirit to lead us. And number two, we have this incredible respect for who Christ is. Respect enough that we listen to him. Now skip down. There's a whole lot of material here, but I want you to look at verse 33. Second part. It says, let the wife see that she respects, there's that word that we see back in verse 21. See that she reveres or respects her husband. And here's what it means. As she respects Christ, then she respects her husband who is made in the image of God. It's fascinating to me that scripture constantly tells men to love their wives. And it never directly says for a woman to love her husband. 
Now, it does say that the older women should teach the younger women to love their husbands. Very interesting thing that I'm not going to get into this morning. I don't think we're that hard to love, but obviously we've got to be taught somehow. But constantly it says women respect. Women respect. Women respect your husbands. Now let's go back to this culture of complaint. One of the consequences of a culture of complaint is a culture of disrespect. Think about how they go together. And I've seen a whole lot of disrespect going on in the home, in in the Christian home. I've seen a lot of homes that act more like a sitcom on TV than they do Christ. I've seen a lot of homes act like politicians. You know that crazy cycle where all they do is back and forth and back and forth, accusing, condemning, accusing, condemning. They don't think through the issues. And then it becomes a matter of winning at all costs. That's Genesis Genesis chapter 3. So a kingdom wife respects her husband. That is a role, a function, and she is called to respect her man. Now, you know another interesting word there back in Peter? What's it say? Respect your, what's the three-letter word? Own husband. You know what that means? Don't go comparing your husband to someone else's husband. Sitting there saying, why can't you be more like? I will guarantee you if that's your attitude, if you were married to that other man, you'd be talking about some other husband in someone else's house. That's what discontent does. It always looks at out there rather than what's here. Someone better is your husband. Now, come on, ladies. Can you amen that one? Let's say it again. I want to hear a few. Someone better is your husband. Okay. I don't know if I'm convinced of that yet. You're sitting there thinking through that like, okay, I still have so-and-so. Let's go back to 1 Peter 3. Reading on in verse 1 and 2. Here's why you subject or submit yourself. So that even if some do not obey the word, let's talk about the husband. They're not living where they should. They may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see you respectful. There's that word again, impure conduct. Now, let me give you an alliteration in the Greek, that last phrase, because it doesn't come up. We, we kind of expand it out in the English, but here's what it literally says. When they see you're pure. I realize that's not good English, but that's what it says. The word pure is chaste, it's innocent. The word pure is used sometimes of someone who keeps themselves sexually for their spouse. But do you get the point of what Peter's saying? The role of a kingdom wife and a kingdom woman, it's a kingdom mission thing. Your calling, your function, your role is to preach Christ to your husband, and if necessary, use words. The word conduct is, and he's going to get into this in a moment, it is more than just outward appearances. Look at verse 3. He says, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry 
or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. Now, here is not what Peter's saying. He's not saying that it's okay to go all ugly on your husband, okay? That's not what he's saying. Now, I'm going to show my age. I remember a time when inside the church, wearing makeup and jewelry was an issue of the Christian faith for some. I mean, there's a whole lot of condemning, a whole lot of judging going on because some did, some didn't. We actually had an interview where Bev and I were in one time, and the leadership board asked her if they would invite us to come if she would take off all her jewelry. All this controversy and judgment going down, you know, we usually do that with people who disagree with us, don't we? We judge them. And that wasn't mission kingdom thing. That was just all preference. Now, Chuck Swindoll was pretty young when I was younger. And in his church, he decided to preach a sermon about it. Do you know what the title of the sermon was? If the barn needs paint, paint it. God had some real nerve back in his day. Have you noticed when we lose our purpose, we lose our perspective. We get caught up in things that do not matter. And that's the real tragedy inside the family. That's the real tragedy inside of a church. Has to do with priorities. And the emphasis here that Peter is talking about, that Paul talked about in Ephesians, if you want to respect your husband here is what you need to do. Don't look good out there and be a bargain basement at home. You're called to mirror Christ. Look pretty on the inside. Peter's saying, don't put on a show out there and then slum it inside the house. Don't look pretty on the outside and talk him down to your girlfriend's. Now, I know what some say. Well, I'm just sharing prayer requests. Here's my advice. Because remember Peter said a gentle and quiet spirit? Share less and pray more. Peter's saying don't look pretty on the outside and disrespect him with your words. God called you a helpmate, not a hurtmate. Helpmate is someone who helps your husband become better than he could be on his own. Now, we all need practical illustrations of this, don't we? I was called the ministry when I was 16, long before I met my wife. But none of this could happen without her. When we got married, she entered into my calling, and we were called together. I would have never came to GBC without her in that mix in terms of calling. So that's how that works. And Peter said, be gentle and quiet in spirit. It's very precious to God. And if it's precious to God, your husband will like it too. Now, let me kind of condense this down to some principles. 
um, in case you didn't hear what Peter was saying. Here's the first. Work on the inside more than you work on the outside. Now, I hope you realize there's a lot of women who major on the outside because they want to be noticed. We call it first impressions. They may get the initial look, but once you get to know them, they're really not all that attractive. You need to know that from a man's standpoint. And anyway, would you want a man who's only concerned about what you look like on the outside? Do you really want that? You know, the way you catch them is the way you keep them. You know, we're one of the few cultures that doesn't value or respect someone who physically is growing old. Other cultures, it's a sign of honor and respect. You go to Zimbabwe, if you have silver hair, and I got no hair, so I'm, I'm kind of in trouble. But if you got silver hair, I mean, they respect you just because of your age. In America, we live in a world of plastic. Plastic surgery modifications are being given as high school graduation gifts. We are a vain, narcissistic culture, and we have to slay this idol. Now, you know I like to give books away. So in accordance with working on the inside more than you work on the outside, I have a nice leather-bound devotional for a woman that wants to work on the inside. Anybody want it? Amen. Amen. I see hands in the back. Now, I'm waiting for, can I wait for someone younger? Okay. I want to see someone younger. Right here? Okay. Now, it says older should teach the younger. Right up here? All right. Okay. What a timeout. Okay. During the last song, I'm going to be out in my car pulling out of the driveway. By the way, I, I should tell you that well, I do have police protection this morning. Tom and I have an agreement that if I pull my ear, he's coming down front quick. So I am prepared. Here's the second point. Use your words to heal, not hurt. Remember the gentle and quiet spirit? They've done studies. There's a three-to-one ratio. Women talk three times the amount of words in a day than men do. Now, there's an exception to that. It's called a sporting event. Women are very, very quiet during a sporting event, and men talk a lot. You know, I, something I said in a wedding um, that has gotten more feedback than anything I've said in, in a long time. And, and what I talked about was tendencies of men and women. And I was speaking to the young couple before me, and here's what I said. I says, now, and I was speaking to her. I says, here's the tendency. You're going to get with your girlfriends, and girlfriends start talking about their husbands. And I said, there's just this tendency in our culture to really kind of run husbands down together. I says, don't do that. Don't engage in that. And I had a lot of ladies confessing to me afterwards saying, you know, we do that a lot. I said, well, stop it, you know. I says, now, when men get together, do you know what they talk about? They don't talk about their wives. <laughs> they talk about hunting, and they talk about football, and they talk about, you know, cars and everything else. But here's the tendency that men have. They'll be attracted to that one woman in their place of work who will sit there and quietly listen to them 
as they share their heart. And, and I told the young man, I says, don't do that. Don't ever share with another woman what you should be sharing with your wife. Don't go to those places. Proverbs 18, 21 says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So you're either eating the fruit of life or you're eating the fruit of death. James 3.18 says the tongue is restless evil, full of deadly poison. And in an image-based culture, we do not understand the power of our words. And we are very sloppy with our words. And we follow after politicians more than we do Christ. Here's the third. Work on a heart of and mind of gratitude. I don't know if you're aware, but ingratitude is contagious. You get together with negative people, you know, it just kind of catches fire, doesn't it? But gratitude is also equally contagious. You know, the story of Exodus in the Old Testament, when you look at Israel, no matter what God gave them, there's two predominant words in the Old Testament text that talks about the reaction. You know what they were? Complain and murmur. Complain and murmur. Now, the main emotion attached to complaining and murmur is what? Disappointment. I talked about that before. When you complain and murmur, you're always going to be disappointed. But if you want your kids and you want your daughters and you want your sons and you want your relatives and you want your people at work and you want your neighbors, if you want them to learn gratitude, you have to live it. So don't obsess on his shortcomings. Seek opportunities to bless. Get away from the victim mentality that's being sold in the marketplace. Stop taking in the lies of our culture that attempt to redefine your worth and value and importance. And I cannot tell you how critical this is today. You know, much of our economy is based on creating discontent because they want you to buy things you really don't need. What they fail to realize is that if you sow economic discontent, it's like a virus. It'll affect every single area of your life, your job, your kids, your spouse, your income. It's why generosity is so critical in the church today because giving takes this tight idol down. It slays it. And people don't realize it's a whole lot more fun to give and to be generous than to worry about everything they don't have. Here's the fourth. Live a life of respect towards your husband and everyone else. I said it before. You want your kids to respect their father? You better be the example. Tragically, I've seen this in the area of politics. Our politicians respect no one anymore. And it's tragic. And I have to confess, there's times I'm guilty. I start reading those articles and whatnot, and it's so easy to get caught into but we watch our leaders of our nation being disrespectful to each other. And it's no longer about issues and what's right. It's about who wins. And they do so by disrespecting and lying and condemning and judging the other person. And I'm all too afraid that many times in our churches we act more like politicians than we do Christians. Now, of course, they want respect then, don't they? And it's kind of like, well, why don't you respect me? Well, look at your lifestyle. Now, like most weeks, and I said it the first part of the message, this applies to all of us. And so if God's spirit convicts, the way out is through confession, repentance, restitution if necessary. 
If God convicts, you know, Discovery Recovery knows this, find an accountability person or group. Every one of us should be living a life of truth, grace, and love. As a nation, we have lived in relatively peace towards being a Christian. And I think it's one of the reasons why we fight over non-essentials. I mean, things like jewelry and makeup and music and everything else. But we are entering a time when that's changing. You can see the writing on the wall. And we better get our purpose right. As a church in America, we've lost our perspectives. Just look at how we judge each other. And what we need is a right foundation. If we're going to navigate the times of suffering with a Christ-like way of living. Now, after we're finished with the series, I'm going to go into a series with the Ten Commandments. Then after that, I'm going to go into a series out of 1 Peter. We're going to look at 1 Peter because it's really a theme of living in the midst of suffering. But listen to what Peter says because this goes against our way of thinking. Because we think if we're nice, then people will be nice back. Here's what Peter says in 1 Peter 2, verses 11 and 12. Beloved. I urge you as sojourners, and that's critical because we are sojourners. We are not citizens of America. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. So we're sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. So all these lies, they wage against your soul. Do you hear what that's saying? Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers... Did you hear that? You're doing all these honorable, right things. You got the grace right. You got the love right. You got the truth right. And what do they do? They're going to speak evil against you. That they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is nowhere needed more than in the family. It's time to wake up and do what is right and necessary. I'm going to invite the Worship group up. We're going to close, and as they come, I want to pray with you. Father God, may your word sink into our minds and our hearts, which have been hardened by this culture. So often we wrestle emotionally because we've been so well taught by the lies of our day that we can't even get this Christ-like thing right. So I pray for all the women here this morning that they understand their value and worth in being defined by who you say they are and not by this culture. I pray that they work on the inside, just not the outside. That they learn to display a beauty that cannot be bought or sold in a bottle or redefined by a culture that keeps changing its mind about what beauty is. I pray, Lord, that they raise up another generation that is countercultural to what we're being taught today. For those that are struggling with their own worth this morning, may your spirit intercede because they believe the lies of Satan. For those that are caught in difficult situations, give them the courage and the wisdom to navigate those. And for all of us, Lord, until we see you face to face, may our conduct be worthy as we walk in a way that honors you. In your name we pray. Amen.